0: Good morning, everybody. Hey, hopefully, uh, what you heard when you heard Lonnie up here giving a financial update, whether you're a regular attender or this is your first time kind of hanging out with us, I hope that you heard that we want to be faithful stewards of what God's given. And I ho- also hope that you heard that there's a, there's a, a, a growing aspect of maturing in our faith in Christ that we support the ministry uh, that God has given us here as a collective group of people who call this place home uh, so we want to be fiscally responsible for with what you give because we 're accountable to God with that but we also want to be fiscally responsible to mature as believers as we faithfully and generously support the ministry that god's given us uh, to do here too so thank you for what you 've done uh, and Lonnie, thank you for making the numbers fun uh, this morning as well. Um, Guys, uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Uh, That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, I, I hope you brought your Bibles. If you don't have your physical Bible with you, go ahead and find 1 Corinthians on your device. Um, and over the next uh, 12 weeks, we're, we're starting a series today in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. We're calling it A Messy Masterpiece, right? And, and so we're going to be, over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be diving into what the Church of Corinth looked like uh, then and how it compares to us. And my, my desire, guys, uh, as God has just kind of like been leading me into this space, is that two things would happen. As individuals, as we spend 12 weeks in this letter that you would uh, just be open, that we would as individuals, right, be open to and receptive whatever God might want to do. If there's changes that he wants to make in you, that you would be uh, ready to allow him to make those changes. And then on the second note, for us as a church, as, as, a, as a faithful um, body of believers who call this place home and meet together, that as a church collectively, that if there's something that God wants to do in us as, as a church, that we too would be receptive that there's something he wants to change that will change us. There's something he wants to add that will add it. But we want to not, not just spend 12 weeks in First Corinthians just to say that we did it. We want to spend uh, 12 weeks in the book of First Corinthians so we can allow the text to read us and to change us, right? And so that's my heart's desire as we spend some time there. Um, the church in Corinth, Uh, was a pretty complex and a diverse group of redeemed people. And when we say redeemed people, we're talking about people who have trusted Jesus. People who have trusted uh, the blood sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for those, uh, for the sins um, uh, that we inherited, but also the sins of us as individuals, right, that we commit as well. They have trusted Jesus for their salvation. So they were a, uh, a pretty diverse and complex uh, group of redeemed people that God desperately wanted to use. He desperately wanted to, to see them reflecting the truth of who they had become in Christ. He had set them free. He had given them instructions on how to live, and he wanted to see his church actually living uh, those truths out. But man, when you look at the church in Corinth, if we're just being honest, we're saying, man, they were a mess, right? We're going to see in the 16 chapters that this letter that Paul writes to them, we, we're going to see like this church, like, just like, it, it was a messy place. And they had some serious issues going on, some sin issues, some drama going on inside of that church. But even though the church, it was what looked like a complete mess, the truth was that God still wanted to use that church, He wanted to use that church, not necessarily to be changed by the culture, but in the city of Corinth, that the church would change the culture in which they had been planted in. They were God's chosen agent to go into that city and to make an impact for him there. And so as messy as the church was, right, as messy and as as jacked up as the church appeared to be from the outside, God's plan wasn't to get rid of her. His plan wasn't just to wipe her off the face of the map. His plan was to mature her from the inside out, to grow her up into this thing called maturity, right? And so even though the church looked like a mess, the church was still his masterpiece. The truth was he just wasn't done with her. Yeah, right? It's like if you were to walk into a room and there's a, a, an artist who's working on her craft, right? She's working on a, on a painting. You wouldn't just go in there and just, uh, as she's painting, she's, she's got easel in front of her, a beautiful canvas set there, and she's stepping back and she's looking at it and she's got the paintbrush in her hand, thinking about what the end result is going to look like and wondering what the next br- the brush stroke is gonna be. You wouldn't go in while she's contemplating the next move and be like, you know what? this thing is a piece of junk. This thing is a mess. This is not a masterpiece at all. No, you would wait until that painting was complete and you would reserve your judgment until the end of the picture was done. And then you can make the judgment call. Is it a mess or is it not a mess? And I think it's the same in the church as well. It's the same in the church today. Sometimes when you look at the church, from the outside or in the middle of it before she is completely redeemed, before Jesus comes back, right? Sometimes we look at the church and she looks like a mess. There's problems on the inside. There's problems on the outside. There's sin that sometimes run rampant. There is uh, obedience to his word and sometimes there's disobedience to his words. There's divisions amongst us. There's divisions in us. There's problems that are coming from all different directions. But the truth is he's just not done with us yet. He wants to mature the church. He wants to grow the church up from the inside out. And we may be messy, but the truth is, we're not a mess. We're not a complete mess at all. If we believe what Scripture says, we're His masterpiece. He's already created us to be His masterpiece, and we're growing up into who He's created us to be. And so, what I want you to do right now, which may feel really, really awkward for you, especially if you don't know the person who's sitting next to you, I want you to look at somebody and say, you know what? I'm not a mess. Go want to do that? Yeah, I'm not a mess. Now, here, here's the next piece that might be really hard for you to say. I want you to look at that same person. I want you to say, I'm a masterpiece. Go ahead. Don't critique him either. I'm a masterpiece. Now, now here's the next thing. God's just not done with you yet. You're not a mess. You're a masterpiece. God's just not done with you yet. In John chapter 17, Jesus, he, he's praying for his disciples, right? And, and as he's praying for his disciples, he's praying that they would be one. And as he's praying for his disciples, he's also praying for the people who are going to come and that are going to believe in Jesus through their testimony, through the testimony of their mouth and also through the testimony of their life. And so as he prays for these disciples, he's also, he's praying for the church, the big C church, all those who would come to faith in Jesus through their witness and through the church's witness over the ages to come, right? And so he's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for the Corinthian church. He's praying for the Ephesian church. He's praying for the church in Asia. He's praying for the church in Africa. He's praying that there would be unity inside the church. And so in John 17, here's what he prays. He says, I pray not only for these But also for those who will believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. What Jesus was praying for here, he was praying for unity of mind for the disciples. He was also praying unity for his church, his church then, but also his church down to the age now and to however long he continues to give us while we're here on this earth. He was praying for unity, a unity of heart, a unity of mind that reflected the truth of the heart of the Father, the the heart of the Father for his church, for unity in the world, for unity of his church in whatever demographic and whatever geographic position that the church would find itself in. He was praying for unity. And in that unity, the way that the church would function in that unity, it would be an example, it would be a declaration to the world that Jesus is king. It would be a declaration to the world of who Jesus actually is. And so when God's people moved in unison, when God's people moved together, united as one, when they lived together, when they functioned together, when they sat down at the table together and ate, when they went to ball games together, when they went to the market together, how they interacted in their community space, how they function as one in unity would be a declaration to the world. There is something different going on over here in this group. There is something different going on with these people who call themselves followers of the way or followers of Christ. And it would make the world stand up and take notice. Who are these people? Who are the ones that are walking in such unison together and they're so united that are reflecting what this Jesus said that he would be praying for the church? But when you look at the church in Corinth, unity is... Last thing that you see. you see Paul talk about it over and over and over again, and what kept them from this, uh, this place of unity was a lack of uh, you're going to see it in, in Thank you. You're going to see it in First Corinthians again and again that the problem was a lack of spiritual maturity. There was immaturity that was running rampant in the church and was keeping them from developing the heart and the mind of Jesus for the world. The heart, his heart and his mind for unity. And so this immature church, they proved to be quite the messy church as we read about it in first Corinthians. And, and so what happens is the unity of Jesus, the unity that he was praying for, it wasn't yet developed in the Corinthian church. And if, and if you're a thinking person, you might be thinking, well, well, Why? Why wasn't it yet developed, right? I mean, because they had the Holy Spirit of God who was living inside of them because we know that when you trust Jesus, the first thing that happens as you receive salvation, the Holy Spirit is placed inside of you and seals you as a believer of Christ. And that Holy Spirit is intended to help you to mature. He's the teacher, he illumines the text, he illumines the life that we live so that we understand how do we live in unison with the Father? How do we live in unison with our brothers and sisters? And so the question would be, if they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, why aren't they maturing? Why aren't they growing up into this maturity at all? And you might have that same question for yourself. I mean, I've been a believer for years upon years, but I still feel like I'm in the same place. I'm not maturing. I, feel like, I actually feel like I may even be a little bit more immature than I started being. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I believe that. I believe the scriptures. But why, why aren't I growing? Why aren't I maturing as well? Well, I think one of the things that we need to look at is we need to look at some of the background of the Corinthian church, right? There were some things that were going on in the church that helped uh, give us a little window into this. This church, they were completely brand new. Um, It was still uh, a a pretty fresh church plant. Most church plants... Um, consider themselves to be a, a new church plant or to be baby a baby church for the, for the first two to three years of their plant. It's not till after that two to three year window where a, a church plant would consider themselves established. And uh, we here at RCC, we were a church plant years ago, but we're no longer a church plant, right? We are a a, 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 found, uh, a church that has been founded and there's been growth, there's been development here, there's been growing in maturity as well. There's might be moments of immaturity, but we're moving along and we're becoming this master, Piece that God has created us uh, to be, but we're no longer the church plant. This plant in the ch- in, in the, the city of Corinth was still uh, uh, basically brand new. They were still kind of a baby church. They're, they've only been around for about three years. They're first generation Christians, right? So they're learning what it looks like to follow uh, Jesus. Uh, They were new to following him. Most of them were a bunch of pagans who were worshiping all kinds of gods uh, there in the city before Paul ever showed up into the city, right? They, They were worshiping all kinds of gods. They didn't have grandmas and grandpas who taught them how to grow up in the faith. They didn't have moms and dads who sat down at the table with them and prayed scripture over them. They didn't have moms and dads who sat down and walked through what does it look like to grow up in our maturity. They just didn't have that as an example for them. That's not how they rolled. They were a first generation uh, group of believers and they barely even uh, knew that growth was uh, potentially on their radars. And so what Paul does is he shows up into this city and the first thing that he does, which is mostly it's his MO. Every time he goes into a brand new city, he goes into the synagogue. And he goes in and he tries to reason with the Jews who were there and to tell them about who Jesus is. He wants to share the good news with them. He wants to talk about how Jesus was a fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures, how all of scripture was pointing to him. They were waiting for a Messiah and Jesus was the one. But the Jews in the synagogue and throughout the city, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They actually, they tried to kick him out of the synagogue. They tried to kick him out of the city. They, they want him to be um, uh, abolished. Actually, if you read in Acts chapter 18, you'll see the foundation of the church in Corinth and how this thing actually started getting off uh, of the ground. And so what Paul does, he said, okay, look, have it your way. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, you don't want to hear about the good news, you don't want to hear about new life, then here, I'm going to wash my hands of you. And so he washes his hands of them. He says, I'm going to the pagans in the city, the ones that you don't want anything to do with. I'm going to tell them about Jesus and see what happens there. Now, the city of Corinth, man, it was crazy. I don't know if you, if you read about the city in Corinth at all, but this place was crazy. It's the, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Jews that were filling the streets there. Um, when you think about um, the city of Corinth, if you, if you try to wrap your mind around it and you, and you were to ball up uh, uh, Las Vegas, and you were to take, uh, not Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and you were to take Vegas, and you were to take New York City, and you were to try to roll them all up together, all the highlights and all the lowlights, all of uh, the perks of the city and all the trappings of the city. If you were to take all three of those and roll them up, now you're starting to get a little bit of a mindset of what the, the atmosphere and the culture was like in the city of, of Corinth. Um, there was... Uh, it, it, people came from all over the world to do business there. There was money. It was an affluent town, a city. There was sex there. There was success. If you wanted to make money, any way you wanted to make money, you could make money there. If you wanted to find a prostitute and you wanted to have a little uh, sexual menage a trois somewhere, all you had to do was go down to the temple uh, of Aphrodite and there was said to have thou- a thousand plus uh, cult prostitutes there who would help you worship the gods through sexual favors right and so if that was your gig, that was your lifestyle, all you had to do was go down there if you wanted to gamble your money away on athletic events and athletic games, like that was a potential for you. you could gamble on what was going on it was like mod, it was like old school fan duel and draftkings on steroids going on there, okay like however you wanted to waste your money, however you wanted to spend your life corinthian the, the town of Corinth had it going on. Anything that your flesh desired, there was something for you there. Anything that you desired, there was something there to scratch the itch that you had. And the thing is that there was no one there who was telling you otherwise. Yeah, you want to do that? Go ahead and do that. Yeah, you want to do that too? Go ahead. Explore your desires. Explore anything that you want. It was hedonism on steroids. You see it? You want it? Go get it. Your flesh wants it? take it. There was no restraint for those in the city of of Corinth. It was actually encouraged. And so for a year and a half, what Paul does is he he gets to know the people of this city. He spends time with them. He gets to know their ins and outs. He sits down, he has dinner with them. (laughs) He gets to know their story. He sits down, he plays with their kids and gets to know their kids. And when the kids go to bed, he talks with the moms and dads and he tries to reason with them about what life in Christ looks like. He tries to reason with them and tell them about the good news of of salvation, the good news of Jesus, teaches them the gospel and how there can be a new life that is unrestrained in freedom in Christ that brings you to what true fulfillment will be. The city offers you one thing. But Jesus offers you what real fulfillment looks like. And he tries to reason with them for uh, a year and a half. And so pagans come to Jesus. Jews in the city who were devout in Judaism, they come to Jesus as well. And so they're coming out of this background of just straight hedonism there. But the truth was that now now that they have Jesus and they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, The culture of of hedonistic pleasure was still gripping. It had claws that sunk down into their flesh, right? It did not want to let them go. And so when they trusted Jesus, again, they had the spirit living in them. So why weren't they growing? Same question for us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, but why are we still in the same place? We have the spirit living in us. Why are we still walking in immaturity? For the Corinthian church, instead of tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit that they had available to them, they kept tapping into their hedonism. They kept tapping into the grip of what the city offered them, as opposed to taking what Jesus had to offer them in His life, in this new life. And so, after a year and a half of doing ministry and spending time and getting to know the church there, uh, or getting to know the city and getting to know people there, what Paul does, uh, uh, he he ends up leaving, right? And he goes and he begins to plant churches. Oh, look at this little butterfly here. Okay, it's just chilling out on my uh, notes here. See squirrel? Watch squirrel, right? Um, so he, he spends a year and a half in, in, this, in this church, and then, he, and then he leaves. He goes to plant churches in, in other areas uh, as, as well. And while he's gone and he's planting churches other places, Scripture tells us there's this lady, this gal named Chloe, who either she comes or her people come. She, they either write a letter or show up. We're not exactly clear on how he gets this news. It's the people of Chloe that says, hey, there's something going on over here in the church. There's some bad things that are happening. Things are a little bit jacked up going on over here. And you need to help do something about this. What are we going to do? And so 1 Corinthians then is a letter that Paul writes to address all these issues that Chloe and her people kinda, kinda snitch on the church about, right? They say, hey, this is happening, come do something uh, about this. And there was issues of sin, there was issues of immorality, there was issues of division and, and people just not getting along with one another. The church absolutely looked like a mess, but this letter is really a letter trying to help this baby church learn how to grow up in Christ. How to grow up into the unity that Jesus had prayed for all the way back in John 17. This is the picture of a messy church that's trying to learn to be the masterpiece that God has already painted and created them to be. They're just trying to figure out how do we live this out now? How do we grow up into who Jesus has already made this church to be? So you ready to dive into chapter one? That's all, that's all the background work. You ready? Okay, ready or not, here we go. So uh, chapter one, starting in verse one, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that's in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as we read these nine verses, there's so much that we could just kind of drill down into in this little introduction that Paul gives us. But what we're going to do throughout this series is, right, what we're going to do, the plan is we're going to spend about, um, we're going to to fly at about 30,000 feet. And then the issues that Paul actually addresses, we're gonna come down onto the ground floor and we're gonna hit, hit those issues head on. But we're, we're not, we're not gonna spend time on, on some, some of the introductory stuff. We're gonna actually look at the issues that he brings up in, chapter, in every chapter of, of this book and we're gonna hit them head on, okay? And so right now we're gonna fly 30,000 feet over these first nine verses and we're gonna say, here's what Paul was doing. Um, he was reminding them of who they are, And he was reminding them of who they belong to. He was letting them know and reminding them that you are a redeemed people and you've been made holy by God. That's who you are, right? You were valuable enough. You you had a redeemable quality enough because of what Jesus did or because of the creation that God made you to be because he created you. That's who you are, that he would actually want to redeem you. And you've trusted him. And so you've entered into the family of Christ. And as that has happened, now you've entered into fellowship with Jesus. And fellowship is a relationship. It's an ongoing relationship, right? And so he says, you've entered into this fellowship, this horizontal or this vertical relationship with, with, with God has now changed. You were once destined to eternity in hell, but now your, your eternity has changed. You have a relationship with the father. You have a relationship with the king and this relationship that you have with him should now impact every single area of your life on this horizontal plane. So how you treat your brothers and sisters matters. How you live amongst others in this world, it matters. How you do your business deals, it matters. What you do behind closed doors, it matters. You're not only in relationship to Jesus, but you are to live in relationship to the world of which he's placed you in as well. He says, now live as redeemed people of God in every aspect of your life. And so what Paul's doing here, he's given a a reminder, says you belong to God. You might be messy right now, but you're not a complete mess, you're a masterpiece. But right now, if we're being honest, you're real messy. There's some jacked up things going on in your life, there's some jacked up things going on in the church and you look like an absolute mess. Head to the bathroom and fix yourself, okay? Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Right now, okay, he's starting to tap down into the problem. This is going to be the issue we're going to drill down into. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same, ju- and, and, and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, there's Chloe, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, right? Not to preach myself, not to make people know my name, but to preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus. That is why I was here. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, now remember, he's writing this to first-generation Christians. They had the Holy Spirit of God who was living inside of them, but they also had some serious kinks to work out in the church. There were some big problems. I don't know if you've ever had a first-generation anything. First-generation iPhone, first generation uh, game system, a first generation car. They're always amazing and fantastic, right? Because they're entering into a new market and they're kind of changing up the game a little bit. And so there's always this excitement around it. But every time there's a brand new, like first of something, a first generation, you know there's always gonna be kinks and bugs that gotta get worked out. It's what's going on in the church. It was a brand new, it was first generation Christians. There were some kinks and some problems that Paul had to start to iron out with the church. And so Paul was here for a year and a half But then, again, he goes and plants these other churches. And as he's planting these other churches, uh, it's been three years. Three years have gone by, and other teachers start popping up in place of where Paul left, right? And there's some problems going on. People like uh, Apollos start to pop up. People like Cephas start to uh, pop up. And there's presumably others that are popping up, too. Their names just don't show up in here, right? They're probably on the outskirts, like, one scripture being written. Like, uh, why do not you put my name in there? But, like... I was there too. I was talking about things. I had people around me. But there were problems that were popping up with people who were leading uh, the church. And then this little problem begins to rear its ugly little head. People in the church are actually fighting over who's the best teacher, they're fighting over who it is that they're going to follow. Well, some were saying, well, Paul's the best. I'm going to follow him. He, he's the one who first came to us, and he was teaching. And, 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 and so because he did that, I'm going to follow after him. And some were saying, well, you know what? No, you're, you're kind of an idiot to try to follow Paul. Um, why don't you try following Apollos? Apollos, man, like he speaks really eloquently. When he talks, people listen. Like he's so smooth. And there's other people who are saying, you know what? No, you know what? This, this guy, um, neither one of these are who you should follow. Why don't you actually, why don't you follow Cephas? Follow Peter. He, he, he's the one who helps you follow the law. He knows the ins and outs and he'll, he'll get you to the right place. So let's let's follow him. And so there's all these divisions go, going on here in the church over their leaders. And you can imagine how this works out, right? It's hard to have unity in a church when there's division over who the leaders are. It's hard to have unity in the church when people are fighting over, well, this is the one I'm going to follow. He can say whatever he wants, but I'm going to follow him. Or no, I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. You can imagine how disunity can happen in the church when people don't know how to follow the leaders that have been put in place, no matter who, not no matter who they are, but godly leaders have been put in place where people are fighting over those, uh, those, those certain leaders. You've got people that are grouping up with Paul, you got people that are grouping up with Apollos. You've got people that are grouping up with Cephas. And what ends up happening in the church is that you've got all these cliques that begin forming up. All these little groups that are happening. And each one of these cliques have their own little groupies with their own little teacher. And so they're, they're kind of forming up. And now we don't know why they formed up with each one of these teachers, right? We don't know why some are choosing Apollos. We don't know. I just kind of like jumped in and, and uh, uh, some, some history says that Apollos was a, an eloquent speaker. We know that Peter was a man of the law uh, for such a long time. And we know that Paul says, I didn't come with eloquent speech. I'm just coming here. I'm preaching the gospel. So we can, we can see a hint of why people might be choosing these guys. But really at the end of the day, we don't know why these specific leaders were the ones that people were, were following. But what we can do is we can look at our own culture. We can look at our church culture and we can begin to understand how these divisions can actually take place, right? We can we can understand in our context of how this kind of stuff happens. Why, why do people end up choosing, or why, why do people choose other leaders and cliques begin to happen in the church today? Whether there are people who come to Christ uh, one leader leads them to Christ, and so they become loyal to that, they, they loyal to that leader, and they just say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to anybody else. Whatever he says, whatever she says, that's the one I'm going to listen to. Somebody else might come. Somebody else might uh, show up, but this is the one that I'm going to listen to. Uh, some of these issues come up because uh, uh, maybe a particular speaker has a, a really good gift they, they speak so eloquently, man. They give the best illustrations or they, they exposit the word so well. And so you really attach to that teacher. And so you say, I'm going to listen to him. I'm not going to listen to anybody else. I'm going to listen to her. I'm not listening to anybody else. And so we can divide over, over issues like that in, in the church uh, right now in our context, right? And in, in the, uh, the church of Christ in America. There's a huge division racially right now. And sometimes people can click up because there's a certain pigment of a person's skin, whether it be a male or a female. They say, you know what? I'm only gonna listen to a white pastor. I'm only gonna listen to a black pastor. I'm only gonna listen to a female. I'm only gonna listen to a male. And, and, and so you have these uh, um, uh, issues of race and who I'm gonna to attach to, and you have these issues of gender. And if it's not the appropriate one, we, we judge and we qualify based on pigment of skin or we judge and we qualify based on a person's gender. So I'm only gonna listen if it's what I actually wanna hear or what I'm actually gonna identify with, right? And so that becomes an issue. Sometimes it's just simply geographic. Right. Well, if if they're from where I'm from, right, if we rolled the same streets together, then I'll listen to him. If he knows my idioms, if she knows my idioms, if they're from Nebraska or if they're from my hometown, then I'm going to listen to them. Or if they're if they're from uh, the United States, I'll listen to them. But if they come from across the water, no way. If they come from another country, no way. And so we can sometimes divide geographically on who we're going to follow as well. Again, whether it's male, female, or or a racial thing, we can do it geographically as well. It happens for all kinds of ridiculous reasons, right? And it's usually not... Theological or biblical. Sometimes it is. You want to make sure the person that you're following is theologically sound and biblically sound. But a lot of the times, the visions that we have isn't based on uh, somebody's biblical take or theological take. A lot of times, it's based on our it's based on our preferences, what we like, the way that the way that we like to hear it or the way that we like to see it, right? And so a lot of times, it's not a biblical thing at all. It's just simply preference. And what happens in the Corinthian church? It's so juvenile. But we can understand it because we see it in our context. We see it all around us. And that what was happening was the church was turning leadership into a popularity contest. And cliques were beginning to form. They were starting to form up and they were fighting amongst one another. They were fighting each other about who they were following. And the unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17 was nowhere in sight. Church wasn't unified. There was division that was breaking it down. And Paul's like, guys, are you kidding me? Is this how this is going to be? We're going to fight over who we're following? Come on now. The church isn't supposed to be a popularity contest. It's just not. The church is a community of people that are gathered together. that are fixing their eyes on Jesus. And what we, and what he's saying is, is right now, that's not happening. Do you see what you're doing? The leaders and the teachers of the church, are they're just simply servants of Jesus. They're not the one you're supposed to focus on. They're servants of the king. They're servants of the one who gave his life for you. Yeah, you may have some preference toward one. You may like one of the other teachers better, but it's not worth dividing over. It's certainly not worth fighting about. Just do you see what you're doing? He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. But that you be united in the same mind in the same judgment. It's the same heart that Paul or it's the same heart that Jesus had in his prayer. He was praying for unity and no division, so that the so that the world would be able to see clearly a picture of the church and they would be able to see clearly a picture of Jesus. So, but what you've done is you've divide over who you're going to follow. And in verse thirteen, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? In other words, what he's saying is, is you're looking to human leaders rather than looking to Jesus. You're looking to human leaders as opposed to fixing your eyes on Jesus. And it really was. It was a popularity contest that was dividing the church and was breaking down the unity that Jesus had prayed for. It was breaking down the unity that could lead to spiritual maturity inside the church. And I was thinking about that this week with Paul what Paul was getting after here is he wants the church to reflect the truth of what God has done in them, right? He wants to encourage them towards unity. He wants to encourage them to fix their eyes on Jesus and not to fix their eyes on a particular leader. And I thought about this in our context, right? RCC context, but also just the church in America context. In in, in 21st century America, in 2020, there is no shortage of ability to click on one of of hundreds of fantastic pastors, right? And you can listen to podcasts, you can watch sermons, you can do do all of those things. And and so you've got these well-polished, you've got well-spoken pastors and teachers with thousands of members at their churches, fantastic attendance, good people, mostly loving the Lord. And what can happen is that we can become groupies of particular pastors. We can become groupies of particular uh, teachers and start to click up around those teachers. And anything that they say, We filter through the grid of how they said it or what they said. We filter through, and it doesn't matter what they say, whether it's true or false. At the end of the day, we end up running everything through their filter. And what we end up doing is when we focus on on human leaders so much, we end up giving them a celebrity status. We end up looking at them as celebrities in our culture, whatever they say, whatever they do, rather than just simply being a servant of God. And we can lose focus that, that they're just another servant of, of Jesus. I, I've got a couple guys, man, that I just absolutely love, that if I'm getting ready to teach something that, that I don't uh, totally understand, I'll look to see. Uh, Matt Chandler is one of my guys. Uh, he, he taught uh, last night in uh, one of the marriage sessions, he and his wife, Lauren, and I'll, I'll look to see like, okay, how did, how does Matt teach this? i want to hear, and like, Matt has been so good for me just as a, a, for personal growth. But then I've got a guy named Tony Evans. I don't know if you know Tony Evans or not. Um, Dr. Tony Evans down in Dallas, man, he is uh, like, he has been formative for my spiritual development. Tony Evans, I've been listening to him for over 20 years now, and he's helped me in my growth as a follower of Jesus, but he's also helped me, I think to some degree, he's helped me even in oratory skills and how I deliver talks. So I think I've grown as a pastor in listening to him teach as well. And like, he is my top guy. Dr. Tony Evans, my top guy. And so when we went to seminary, uh, uh, gosh, however long ago that was, um, 12 years ago, maybe we were there, and uh, because Tony was teaching down there, his church was there, uh, I was crazy excited to go see Tony Evans. Uh, and, and so uh, Ashley and I, we got up one morning, we're, we're crazy geeked out, or at least I was geeked out. And I said, let, let, let's, go, uh, let's go to Tony's church. And, and so we go to the church. We weren't going to Jesus' church anymore. Okay, We were going to Tony's church that day. And so I didn't know it at the time, but that was my focus. And so we walk in the door and I'm so excited. There was a greeter who was standing there and I, and I, and I, looked, and I looked at him and I said, hey, do you know, like, is, is Tony going to be here today? Is Dr. Evans, is, is Pastor Evans going to be teaching today? Is he going to be here? And, and no joke, um, the, the, the greeter looked at me and, and said, I don't know if Tony's going to be here today or not, but Jesus is sure going to be here. I was like, ouch, ouch, because I wasn't there for Jesus church. I was there for Tony Church that day. I was there for Dr. Evans Church that day, and the Lord was doing some work in me in that. And I, I could identify with what Paul was saying. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Dr. Evans. I follow Matt Chandler. I follow you. Fill in your blank of the, of the person you tend to group around. You t- you tend to you know give a celebrity status to, and, and we hear Paul's words: Is Christ divided? Was Tony crucified for you? Was Matt crucified for you? Was your blog person crucified for you? Was your podcast person crucified with you? Is Christ crucified? Who are we looking to for our growth? Who Who, who is it that we're focusing on? Are we looking to a human leader to lead us towards growth? Or are we fixing our eyes on Jesus to lead us to, to growth? See, the center of the church was never intended to be centered on the person who's teaching, the servant who's teaching. The center and the focus of the church has always been intended to be Jesus. Jesus is the one who unites the church. He's the one who unifies the church. There is never going to be unity in a church where Jesus is not the center of attention. There is never going to be unity in a church where Jesus is not the focus and the celebrity of that church. It's it, like, there's never going to be unity. You might have some good times together. There might be some mixing and matching and we enjoy being together, but there's never going to be true yearn- unity amongst diversity where Jesus is not the focus of the church, where he doesn't get to, to, to be um, the center of attention. That's why it's so detrimental uh, for us as, as believers. It's so, and it's so detrimental and, uh, to the reputation, I think, of the church and de- detrimental to the reputation of Jesus when a leader goes rogue. And a leader falls off the course uh, because of the pedestal we often put them on. When they fall, as often a leader will do, because no leader is perfect, That's often you're going to see a leader fall. And when that leader falls, if that's the person that we've got our eyes fixed on, what ends up happening is that whole group falls. All the groupies of that leader end up falling as well. And so the detriment to the reputation of Jesus and the detriment to the reputation of his church is that if we fix our eyes on a human leader and that leader falls and we fall along with him, we don't get to lead into the unity for our own church, but we also don't get to lead into the big C unity of the church uh, as well. Faith and unity was never intended to be simply on a human leader because when those leaders fall, it's detrimental to us. Jesus was always intended to be the celebrity. Jesus was always intended to get the attention. The center of the church is him. He's the uniter. He's the unifier. He's the one that brings the growth. If there's spiritual growth that's ever going to happen, it's not because it's, you're going to be because you're following a teacher. It's going to be because you're listening to a teacher who's putting, putting your eyes on Jesus and Jesus and his spirit in you is going to be the one who's bringing uh, the growth. The church may be messy. Listen to me. The church may be messy, but when she begins to fix her eyes on Jesus, the masterpiece begins to take the shape that it was designed to have. And so it may look like a mess, but there's a masterpiece underneath all of that mess. So how does the church stay away from this stuff? How do we stay away from ridiculous divisions that tend to break us up and break up the unity that Jesus prayed for? Simple, for at least simple in my mind. It's not always easy to do. Focus on Jesus. Focus more on Jesus and less on the human leader. Focus on Jesus more than you focus on the leader. Do we want good leaders? Absolutely, we want good leaders. We want leaders who are who are desperately being satisfied by Jesus and only Jesus alone. But we don't want our growth to become fixed on that leader. We want our growth to come through Jesus. So focus more on Him and less on the human leader. Because when we focus on Jesus, we're driven to the cross, and when we're driven to the cross we're driven to his sacrifice. and when we see that sacrifice, we're led to a place of humility, and we're led to a place of humility. We don't fight with a brother and sister over who the person is a follower. We, we fight for Christ, we fight for unity because we have our eyes fixed on him, and we're not divided on what our attention is gonna be put on. When we focus on the particular leader, the human leader, rather than on Jesus, we tend to be driven towards defensiveness. We tend to, to, to defend our clique, to defend our person, to defend, like, that's just not how God has designed the church uh, to grow. He hasn't designed us to, to click up. Jesus breaks down barriers. I mean, you, you, you read uh, um, uh, Ephesians and you see the wall falling down. You, you see the divisions break. He came to break down barriers, not to allow us to click up inside of a church and to, and to have groupies amongst us. He breaks down those barriers. He breaks down the cliques. He unites. He unifies. And so what I want to ask right now as we're getting ready to close is uh, where have we formed cliques and that are detrimental to the unity of the body? For you as an individual, is, is there the celebrity mentality on a leader is there a celebrity mentality on somebody that you wanna follow that, that keeps your eyes fixed on them, him or her as opposed to fixing your eyes on Jesus? Where does that come in and break down unity and division Uh, and create division inside of the church. See, what often happens, especially in a time right now, like we already talked about this a little bit, is that we can have a mentality, especially, guys, with everything that's going on in our culture right now, and especially even inside the church, we can have a mentality of, I'm only gonna follow the white guy. I'm only gonna follow the white girl. I'm only going to follow the black guy. I'm only going to follow the black girl. I'm only going to follow um, the girl. I'm only going to follow the man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, focused on the gender as opposed to the message of Christ. I'm going to focus on the race as opposed to the message of Christ. There's this division that is going on amongst us in the, in, in the body of Christ, amongst brothers and sisters that are dividing over issues that were intended to unite us. The beautiful diversity that God has given us inside of the church is to supposed to help us grow, not to break us. Down, right? Jesus is the uniter and the unifier, and so we look to Him as opposed to look for ways to divide amongst each other because of the human leader that we're going uh, to follow. Okay, so the challenge for us, I think, is to focus more on Jesus and to focus less on the human leader, because divisions begin to fade away when our gaze fixes clearly on Jesus. Right, and so what I want to do is—is I want us—I want us to pray uh, together. So just everybody go ahead and, and uh, bow uh, your head. And my, my desire for us as a church throughout this, uh, these next 12 weeks together as we go through the 16 chapters of 1 um, Corinthians is that we deal honestly each week with what Jesus wants to do inside of our hearts. Right. And so if there's any division that's being caused inside of you as a person because of a leader that you want to follow... Or because of a racial issue or a gender issue, when you can only hear the word of Christ spoken from an individual person, as opposed to letting somebody fix your eyes on Jesus, then I want I want us to pray and ask the Lord to uh, um, to fix that inside of us because something's not working. We can't be matured in Christ when we're creating division like that. And if we have somehow, as a church, allowed clicks. To, to form up and to grow and to create disunity. And I'm, I'm not saying that I feel any of that, but it, but if there's something that's happening that we don't see, that the Lord would remove that, right? That he would break that down, that we would be a church that just united and fixed our eyes on him. And so right now, I just wanna give you a moment to, to pray. Um, spend some time with Jesus right now to, to, to clean out some stuff that he's gotta clean out because we're gonna do this for the next 12 weeks. We're gonna let Jesus clean out stuff that he's gotta get out of our closets, okay? Yeah. So, Father, you know what's inside of our hearts. You created our hearts, you created our mind. You have a wisdom that's beyond our understanding and you know the internal things. As Matt even said last night, the the whispers inside of us that drive us one way or another. Father, you know what's happening in us. You, You know the heart of man and you know the depravity of man. And as brothers and sisters who've trusted our lives to you, Father, your desire for us is is to grow, to set things that cause disunity aside, to set prejudices aside, to see ourselves as the masterpiece that you've created, that we're growing up into, but also your church as the masterpiece that we're growing up into as well. Father, if there is any sin inside of us, that is causing disunity in our relationship with you as an individual, would you just pluck that out? Because that's not of you. If it's some kind of hedonism of our culture that we just can't let go of, Father, would you help us not to just feed our desire? Father, if if there's something inside of us that is just causing this unity of heart and mind and soul, just get it out of the way. Because if we don't get that right now, Father, our maturity is on the line. Our growing in you and experiencing you well is on the line. And so would you just just sweep over our congregation this morning. Let us be honest with you with our sin and get rid of this stuff. Because that's not of you. And Father, if there is any disunity in us as a body, as a church, in our community, in our world, that we've said that we're gonna click up over here and we're gonna listen to what happens here. We're not gonna listen to the truth that comes from anywhere else that is that is biblical. Father, I pray that you would break, this, break us of that. That's not of you. You break down barriers. You break down walls. And your desire is to un- unite us so that we can be one. So that the world would see your church moving and living together as one. And so they can say, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want that. And they see the beautiful face of your son, Jesus. So this morning, Father, we pray that over us. We pray for you to sweep us clean as an individual and to sweep us clean as a church. And we're going to watch what you do in us this week. And we're going to watch what you do in us over the next 12 weeks. And Father, we're going to be better because of it. You're going to be more clearly reflected in us because of it. May you be praised. Be the celebrity of our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.